FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Hello, welcome back to Castaway, FIS's freight and commodity podcast. It is uh, Wednesday the 7th of July, rather overcast in London here. Uh, I am, of course, joined by Theo, our regular panellist here on our podcast, and uh, we are also joined by special guest this week, Nick McClements, who's the head of Base Metals at FIS. So this week, we're going to be going into our usual market updates, news, main markets, and then having a little bit of a focus on Base Metals to finish this week. So let's dive into the news this week. Uh, The British government announced that it was relaxing most of the remaining COVID restrictions on the 19th of July, despite rising case numbers. Ride-hailing company DD's shares sank 25% yesterday after a crackdown in China following its New York listing. The German Green Party has made the case for relaxing the country's strict fiscal rules, which could have an impact if they win an election later this year. Uh, The US quietly withdrew from Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan in a new marker for their withdrawal from the country. Americans celebrated their independence on the 4th of July. So there's a few sore heads, I'm sure, still uh, around uh, over the pond. And England take on Denmark tonight for a place in the Euros finals against Italy after that penalty shootout last night. But let's go into the markets and where we're seeing the indexes. So first, oil and products. These are, of course, Tuesday the 29th versus yesterday, Tuesday the 6th. Brent, we've have, uh, have had a small fall week on week. 75.07, then closing yesterday, 74.57, according to uh, FIS end of day. Uh, on the fuels, the high sulfur fuel oils, we have uh, dropped quite significantly on the high sulfur. Uh, 390.85, down 3.27%, and the Sing 380, down 2.94%, 403.35 cents, just uh, staying above that 400 level. On the 0.5s, the very low sulfur fuel oil, uh, less of a fall, but uh, 509.06 on the rock 0.5, down 0.9%, and 526.56, down 1.1% on the Sing. Uh, the high fives, that's the difference between the very low sulfur and the high sulfur fuel oils, uh, continuing that uh, move up on the, on those levels, but more significantly uh, week on week this time, uh, up 7.3% on the Rotterdam to 118 and 126 on the Sing High Five, plus 7.7%. Then looking at the uh, freight indexes, the Cape 5TC, uh, down 20.38% uh, week on week, down to 27,309. And the Panamax 40C 36101 up 3.9% week on week, or if you want your 5TC version 37437. Theo, what are we seeing on the uh, iron ore? Uh, the iron ore week on week um, on plus 60, uh, 62% yesterday it was at $222, up $7.90 week on week, which is up 3.69%. Uh, the fast market 65%. Uh, index was $254.90, which is up $5.80, which is up 2.33% week on week. And the uh, 65 versus the plus 62 spread uh, was at, came in at $32.90, which is down $4.23, which is down 11.5% week on week. And then on the tankers, TC2 up 2.4%, 117.22, TC5 down 5%, 78.57, and the uh, VLs down one8 percent uh, 3161 uh, and unchanged on T25 0% movement 70 uh, and then to finish off the EUA future that's the uh, carbon emissions in the EU uh, we were 5864 last week and now 5402 down 2.9% uh, 
but then dropping into a bit more of an exploration of the main products and what we've seen over the week, uh, starting with uh, oil and products. We did make an attempt at, uh, last week to break through 77 level, touching that uh, into the 78s, but things have quietened down since, uh, fading towards more than mid-70 levels uh, at the moment, opening London today from our, our opening report, 74.85 on Brent. And we did have those concerns about tightening crude supply, uh, which has pushed those levels up uh, into the start of the, this week uh, to those higher levels, multi-year highs. But um, those OPEC talks were postponed for a week and they cooled off altogether yesterday after clashes between Saudi Arabia and the UAE about the group's output policy. So definitely something to, to watch there. The UAE, UAE were trying to rejig its baseline production level uh, to allow for higher production, of course, taking advantage of higher prices. Uh, and this was rejected proposal to extend past the group's output cuts beyond April next year. Saudi Arabia pushed to extend the output agreement to the end of next year rather than April. So it seems that uh, the cautious approach again being taken by Saudi Arabia, the kind of big brother of uh, the OPEC group, and you have some upstarts trying to uh, really push that out. Again, we, we've already talked previously about Russia trying to get those production levels up so it can take advantage of these higher prices. But um, the more conservative Saudi Arabia, making sure that we uh, support these prices without releasing too much of supply too early. Um, it doesn't seem that there's a new date yet for uh, those negotiations, uh, the, the group. But a new meeting could take place in time for an agreement of further unwinding uh, of the group's production cuts uh, from August. If you look at what's happening in terms of their plan to increase production by about 2 million barrels per day from August to December in uh, 400,000 barrel increments. So we'll keep an eye on what's happening there and uh, bring you up to date on that. But specifically about fuel, we've seen a slump in the high sulfur fuel oil prices and that's been reflected in what we've seen in, in those crack levels. Uh, and we've also seen a weakness in those FOGO spreads impacting the 0.5%. Uh, but as we saw from the indexes, there's much more impact on the high sulfur fuel oil than there has been on the 0.5%. The so the, the long talked about strength of the high sulfur fuel oil that we've seen for a long period of time, we thought that that would disappear because of IMO 2020 coming in and everyone moving to 0.5%, but it has held its own against all predictions on that. If you look at crack levels that we've seen since the last podcast, we were at uh, minus 1040 on the high sulfur crack. Uh, and now minus 1160, or in fuel flat price terms, that's about a $6 move on top of that. So where we were in Brent, we've come down. And then also on top of that, the uh, weakness of the crack has dragged, uh, dragged down those prices um, and increasing the uh, spread between the, uh, the those two high sulfur fuelers and uh, very low sulfur fueler, widening that spread. Less so of a move on the FOGOs, which have only lost around $2 on the rot and $4 on the sing. So it has drag price down relative to all, but in terms of that move that we've seen on high sulfur, you can see why there's been that widening spread as uh, increasing amounts of high sulfur fuel oil are flooding the market. But it seems to still be a, a little bit more tightness uh, and demand for the 0.5%, which is, is holding up those levels there. If you look what's happening on the EIA last week, again, we've seen exactly what happened. Uh, it must be five or six weeks now where we've seen big draws on those crude levels. Last week, we saw minus 6.7 million barrels. Uh, and on the gasoline, we've had a small draw on distillates of small, uh, a small build on the gasoline, sorry, and a small draw on the distillates. So another week of the large draw on those crude. So we'll see again what the API is saying today uh, and what the EIA actually say coming in uh, to confirm the numbers at uh, this afternoon, London time. 
So we were, again, uh, slightly off, but uh, it seems that this is an argument to more sentiment looking at what OPEC are doing in terms of their releasing a new supply and whether the market is ready to absorb that, uh, which will push up levels uh, if we're, we're too late on those or we see a, a reopening of the economies. We reported in the news, so the UK is looking to do that at the moment and uh, all other countries who have well uh, established vaccine programs could come on to uh, on this. You've seen those big draws in the uh, US crude that uh, production and uh, the economy is starting a lot better. If we can add in all the things that uh, allowing of travel, travel corridor, corridors noted that Germany would be allowing double vaccinated British citizens to, to visit without quarantine very soon too. So a lot more of that happening, opening up of travel, uh, of the airlines, which have been absolutely hammered in uh, the pandemic. So with that and the increasing demand for, for oil, OPEC will probably allow itself to, to, to put more supply into the market and uh, still see prices rising. So another thing to, to keep an eye out on in terms of that, and we'll be bringing you as we move forward on that. But uh, Theo, why don't we give a bit more in-depth on the iron ore markets and what we've seen? Um, in the iron ore markets, although the indexes don't uh, show it in the last couple of days, there's been a possible consolidation in the last few trading sessions, uh, most likely following equities and other broader markets. Uh, but today I've noticed that uh, everything's found its mojo again, all the metals are back up and up higher, and um, that's also followed with uh, rebar and the iron ore uh, products, both onshore and offshore. Uh, last week, though, we did have that 100-year birthday festivities, which uh, authorities demanded steel mills around Beijing, Hebei, and other large steel-making cities to idle capacity. So that could have been the reason why we had that slowdown last week. Um, looking again, as I usually do at the virtual steel mill margins, which is the futures margins contracts, um, they've rebounded uh, last yesterday and today up to about 900 uh, RMB per tonne up close to 50% from uh, last week at uh, a low at 573 RMB per tonne. This would incentivize, I think, some physical traders to lock in their profits on futures by selling steel margins. Um, there is, I think, there is a still a some there is still a risk of restrictions on steel production in the second half of the year, as we said last week. And uh, we've been told that steel mills are also notifying customers of possible reductions of steel allocations. So this should limit demand for iron ore and coke. Um, so having that downside protection we spoke about last week wouldn't be a bad idea. On the uh, physical side, um, the numbers are coming from June um, iron ore exports from Brazil and Australia. So in June, the Brazil export 33.68 million tons of iron ore, which is the biggest single month of exports over the last nine months. And that's up 12.2% year on year and 26.3% uh, month on month. Australia similarly exported well, a, lot, a large number, of course, 76.09 million tonnes, and um, which is another high for uh, for Australia. So last week, Brazil and Australia, in total, they delivered 24.91 million tonnes, which was down 2.8 million tonnes week on week. But the Australian and Brazilian arrivals are up 3.49 million tonnes to... 25.12 million tons last week. So Brazil and Australia exports and, and arrivals expect to recover during July. And that's pretty much it. Cool, thank you, Theo. And then to round off our main products, looking at the uh, capes specifically, because since our podcast, if you were looking on FIS Live app, there's a lot of red bars uh, currently on the uh, the 5TC contract. And 
we've seen that reflected in the index as well. The yesterday, the index came in 27,309, you know, 4.64 lower, and the August futures came under pressure after derailment at the uh, RBCT. And this caused the market to rebalance, resulting in futures selling off around 4K. Um, this has been a kind of reversal of the main stories that we've been doing. I remember week after week, Kerry going, this is the, uh, the derivative tail wagging the physical dog. But it completely has reversed now. And after a long period of uh, we are now having the physical leading the derivative market, the fundamentals have finally overpowered the futures market. Um, there's a growing tonnage list in the Atlantic, uh, led some owners capitulating and having to face the C3 market where car cargoes were uh, thin on the ground. And that has led to rates being slashed there with negative sentiment feeding through into the uh, C5 market as well. Uh, and it seems that the kind of a perfect bearish storm could soon become a, a reality in the market. Um, as the physical market dropped over the last few days, the those long in the paper market has also, have also kind of just disappeared from the market. And that has also exacerbated what we've seen uh, in the physical side as well. So a nice big sell-off uh, currently, but uh, still at completely elevated levels in those compared to where we were uh, quite a while ago uh, on the market. And you've had similar things come across in the Panamax market as well. We're not so bad, but um, we, we've, we've retreated from the those 40K, almost 40K levels on the Panamax market and uh, a little bit better in terms of on the futures market yesterday, uh, pushing up again, but uh, a significant market which has hit the news uh, on uh, on trade wins. So definitely want to uh, report on. But uh, we should have Kerry back again next week to give us uh, even more in depth on the freight market, and perhaps we need to do a, a kind of couple week overview of what we've we've seen. But of course, moving to the main feature of our podcast this week, it is the base metals market, and we have Nick here to talk about base metals. So. There'll be some people who are on the podcast who hear base metals and it completely goes over the head. And why don't you give us a little bit of introduction of what base metals are and you know, different products and what you kind of do here at uh, FIS. Sure. Thanks for having me on, Chris. So base metals are effectively non-ferrous metals, um, copper, aluminium, zinc, nickel, lead and tin are the main six metals that are trading on trading on the London Metal Exchange. Uh, so copper is the the flagship metal on the LME, um, known as the bellwether for the economic health. And that has been the main driver for uh, bullish price action throughout the last year. We've seen copper rally from a low of 43.71 back in March 2020 to a high of $10,747.50 in May this year. That's an increase of around 146%. The driving force behind that has been a combination of supply disruption uh, coupled with demand shock. The supply disruption has come from uh, COVID restrictions, meaning that mines uh, have been forced to close down. And the demand shock has come from the Green Initiative, particularly since uh, President Biden has been elected. Um, I think on a global scale, we're seeing the whole electrification uh, process for particularly for EVs, electric vehicles, being a real driving force for, for base metals in particular. 
It's something that we've been talking about in terms of base metals, by cobalt and lithium, but we always forget that there's other metals involved in it too. You know, nickel is a, a large part of, of those battery uh, makeups for, for this as well. Yeah, huge part. Um, and one thing about nickel as well is there's a lot of that uh, nickel price has been driven by the demand for electric batteries, electric vehicle batteries. But there was a, a bit of a shock earlier this year when we have this disruptor of the nickel market, Tim Shan, who stated they can convert nickel pig iron to nickel mats for processing into battery grade nickel sulfate via a new technology uh, known as high pressure acid leaching. That kind of really put, knocked a froth off the, the nickel rally. Uh, and since then, we've kind of been finding a cap around about sort of eighteen six hundred dollars per ton on nickel. One thing that's an unknown about that, however, is the, the carbon cost of producing nickel in this manner. We don't know that yet. It's still unknown if they can deliver this technology and if it's going to be um, a technology that is bespoke to them or whether that's going to be rolled out across mm. um, the nickel space. Moving towards specifically, I know that we've had probably multiple conversations with compliance departments and other brokers about the uniqueness of the LME market. Uh, as a, a clearer and I don't think we'll kind of explain a bit more when people think normal market exchange nice and simple what's different about the LME? Okay so the, the LME I mean one main thing that sticks out in the LME is its unique date structure it's a physical market by nature uh, and this date structure which allows you to trade any date between tomorrow and three months um, and then pretty much the most liquidity after that is every third Wednesday. The main contract being the three months contract. So if you're trading your copper, for instance, you're trading three months, and then you'll adjust it to the prime date rather than trading an outright future. So the date structure is a really unique thing. It's been both a benefit and a drawback. It's a benefit because of it gives the physical community that ability to be a lot more flexible and it gives them pricing for dates specific to their needs. But the fund community prefer to trade out like outright in the future. And then another specifically um, unique part of the LME is its outcry floor, which has had a all these news stories with COVID, it was closed. And then all these people thinking, oh, it might not open again. So what's been happening on the uh, that front? Yeah. Precisely. It's, it was closed um, March last year. As you expect, you can't really do an open outcry uh, trading ring with social distancing. Um, so it was initially closed temporarily. Um, and I think those Cat1 members sort of, they, they've done a remarkable job of keeping that, uh, that structure uh, going, the LME floor structure going during that lockdown period. Uh, then in January this year, um, the LME announced it was going to potentially close the floor permanently, um, which would have been a huge loss, I think, for, for those of us who have been involved on involved with the LME market for, for years. That has been the um, you know, the 
the real heart and soul of the industry. Um, and I think it's a source of real pride that those who um, participate in this market, they're aware that it's the last open outcry market left in Europe. Um, it's a huge source of, um, of liquidity and a great price discovery mechanism. Um, and then after a few consultations, uh, there was some outcry from the physical community. Um, and there's kind of been a, a hollow victory for the cap fund members that trade on the floor. Uh, in the sense, the floor will be reopening on the 6th of September, but the closing, the final closing prices for the day will still be set, um, still be achieved by trading online, um, which is a real blow to those guys because that was one thing that they, that's a core part of their business is that that closing end of day valuations. Um, they warehouse a lot of risk. Um, and they, they, they kind of filter out all the noise and the big orders have more of an impact than every small order. Whereas whilst that's been training online, it's a bit more of a lottery where you think these, um, well, that's, that's an opinion, right? It could, other people might have a different opinion, but it seems to be more of a, a lottery where these um, assessments may end up. Uh, victory for tradition then. Small victory. Small victory for yeah. tradition. But uh, you talk about the three-month contract, and that's obviously very unique to the LME market. What um, is it in terms of you, you offer here at uh, FIS, which is you know unique in brokers uh, trading on this uh, on the base metal contract? I mean, uh, for us, we um, we obviously put out an advert recently uh, highlighting that we're offering an RFQ to try and cater for some of the the, the CTAs that we speak to who want involvement on the LME, um, but they like it to fit their model. So what we're trying to do is cut out the noise of the three months and the adjustments and give them one um, type of price for the contract they want to trade. And then they therefore know exactly what they're, they're making a lot on their, their P&L is on that, on that monthly contract. Uh, with three months, obviously it's, um, you trade three months, but then if you move that, you have to move that to a date in order to get your out of the, the price you require. Um, a lot of the business we do here is um, it's based around spreads, um, options, um, outrights are a part of that, and that's a growing part of it, which is why the RFQ is under development, which is due to be launched very shortly. Um, and in terms of three months, a lot of that still, um, the LME is a highly evolved and highly efficient market. Um, we have LME Select, which is a huge amount of volume trade every day. Um, also a great sort of price discovery mechanism. And, and Theo, we were talking before we started the podcast about metals and their relationship, especially base metals and their relationship to other metals and commodities. Yeah, I mean, I've been following that for quite a while and uh, it, it seems that the uh, when you are scratching your head in the uh, iron ore or the steel side, you just turn to uh, the uh, metal side, the nickel, copper, etc., and uh, you find the answers there. So one, it's either they, 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 they're the first mover or we're the first mover on the steel iron ore side. It's quite interesting that I guess it's because the, the uh, Chinese funds will trade 
simultaneously all those all those uh, different commodities at once in the same direction. And that's just an observation I've had for quite a while. But a final point to, uh, again, another opinion which perhaps will have uh, controversy on the social media sites of people telling us that we've got it wrong. But um, there's been a lot of talk, if you're reading the commodity market pages on our news sites, <clears throat> about super cycles. So, Nick, is this true assessment of what we're seeing in the base metal markets as well? Are we seeing a super, uh, super cycle there or is this just all hot air? I, it's one of those things, you, it's hard to tell, right? You've got, we've come from multi-year lows after what happened last year. Um, there was a supply shock, sorry, supply disruption. Um, and then we've seen the huge demand through the, the green initiative. And that created a perfect storm to see higher prices. We made all-time high. Um, in May this year, but I think it, a, a commodity super cycle, it's, it has potential, of course, like it's not over till the fat lady sings, so to speak. Um, and I think any real bull run, it won't, it's never going to go up in a, in a straight line. We're seeing sort of periods of consolidation. We've had recently, um, hawkish comments from the Fed which are potentially putting the brakes on commodities. And we've also had, uh, specifically on base metals, that China announced they are to release strategic reserves throughout the second half of 21 of stockpiles they built uh, earlier last year. So the combination of these two things have kind of put the brakes on base metals prices for now, but we're still well above $9,000 a ton of copper. Um, we're still at high prices. And at the moment, I, you know, this, I think this is set to continue. Um, but we're seeing a, a momentary pause in what I think is possibly, um, I could be wrong, of course, um, possibly more to come. You've got money factors flowing into that. I mean, we, we're still not out of this pandemic, of course. So you could be having fourth, fifth waves of, of other lockdowns and all variants going forward. So who knows what we're going to be going forward. But we have seen quite an incredible move on many of the products that we cover here that we've followed. I think we're on episode 62 now since we started right at the end of, of February 2020, just before going into uh, lockdown here in the UK. So... I mean, we've been following iron or let alone any other products who've made incredible moves up. So um, unless there's anything else from, from you, Theo? No, I just, just wanted to add to that, that uh, we are seeing June manufacturing PMIs across US and Europe. They are starting to improve. And we are seeing also US Treasury yields uh, remain relatively low. So that's always beneficial for commodities. So there are a few moving targets that we have to keep an eye on in this uh, podcast and uh, to try and work out where the next, the next direction is. But it's actually all becoming quite interesting again. Yeah, absolutely. Now we've, uh, we have added the uh, carbon emissions to our regular indexes now going forward. So we keep an eye on what's happening in that market. But uh, as you say, Theo, we need to keep an eye on all these things going in. So everyone listening, do join us in again next week to uh, see what's happening in the main quantity markets. Thank you to Nick for joining us to talk to us about uh, base metals and, of course, to Theo for your 
the usual input on uh, everything across the commodity spectrum. So to everyone, thank you and uh, see you next week.